You're listening to Tiger's Eye, Episode 1. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer? Why the chain? In what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil? What dread grasp? Dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? The forest breathes around me, teeming with life. From mossy floor to leafy ceiling, organisms beyond count are born today, will die tomorrow, and somewhere in the process, connect. Each will try to find their purpose. My purpose is to hunt. The understory between humid, decomposing floor and lofty canopy is my pathway. Our gargantuan labyrinth of spidering branches suspended above the earth. I prowl, I prepare, I spring. As I travel the air, I am an arcing congregation of living spears. The branches are strong and supple as they receive and bear my landing frame. The wood, soft, warm and damp under my paws. The wind is on my tongue. The leaves brush my whiskers. At a distance, a quagga is walking, the moonlight playing across its striped coat. It has strong legs. I must be careful. I drop to the floor without a whisper. Its softer terrain will mask my sounds. Moving through the undergrowth now, my eyes are wide, ears twitching, appraising the world behind me, guarding from unwanted approach. My nose sifts through the myriad scents, locking onto the quagga, growing stronger as I move in. 
His head turns. I stand still. The moonlight is now falling upon my fur. Blue moon, red leaves, purple fur. I am invisible. Around the edges of my tongue, I can taste him. His eye pierces the world around me. It looks through me, but not at me. He continues his nighttime walk, approaches a stream. The rushing water further muffles the sound of his footfalls and my own. His back is to me. I can move swiftly again. I spring up and alight the cathedral of trees. My claws make only the lightest of scratching sounds as they penetrate and cling to a trunk. Quagga is drinking now. His guard is down. I quietly inhale and prepare for the struggle. I am still. I am ready. I act. Springing out into the night, pushing out my paws, extending claws and opening jaws. I have joined the slow dance of the air, and there is only space between he and I. The space closes, and we collide. My jaws close around his jugular, and the power and immensity of my gathered momentum carries us over, tumbling onto the ground. I hold him. His musculature jerks and undulates, and he fights to regain his feet. I keep my limbs away from his crushing body mass and hold him off balance, clamping my jaws onto his throat. He is torn. His blood is running. I gulp down the hot liquid that fills my mouth to keep from choking. He is afraid. I bite harder, keeping him still, careful not to rip his sides. My family needs the skin. Time passes. His strength comes and goes in panicking waves. I adjust my grip, saving my own strength for the sudden, frenzied escape attempts. I extend my senses for possible attack from others while we are prone like this. We are alone, save for the moon. He is weak now, crying softly inside. We have entered the window of stillness. It is time. With my free paw, I unsheath my knife and finding his panicked, beating heart, slide it gently and firmly in, feeling him tense as I do so. He breathes his last and is still. While holding him has devoured my strength, it prevented uncontrollable panic and serious injury. I loosen my grip and he falls away from me. I touch my forehead to his. Thank you, Quagga. You will make my people stronger. Rest now. 
go with the father of passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. Straightening up, I clean my knife and check myself for wounds. I am bruised, but not cut. With great effort, I haul Quagga onto my shoulder and walk to home. He is so heavy. My legs are tiring. I push on, scan the trees. This is when I am most vulnerable, flagging, exposed, carrying something of interest to many. There are sounds, impacts in the tree beside me. I move swiftly and defensively, and an arrow connects with the carcass on my shoulder. There are leopards. I am attacked. Two of them. They ignore Quagga. That is their spoils for later, when I am dead or fled. Flared yellow eyes, fierce, bright, angry. Movement so fast my aching body can barely react. They leave their bows and come at me from two angles. I move with them, spiraling my body. Claws graze past my face. Sharp bone knives are unsheathed. I draw my short spears and the leopards react immediately, curving their bodies around the singing blades, impressively, terribly graceful. I have but a few moments to turn the tide in my favor or they will close on me and I am done. Bounding into the air and fainting away from one attacker, I employ my hind paws to grab the other by the head. For a second, he is surprised and horrified as he realizes our new shared trajectory. My weight descends towards a flank of an immense tree root. His skull is clutched in between as I slam down. There is a crunch. And at the close of this movement, I ensure he does not suffer, jabbing my spear into his chest. He is down. The other lands and stares aghast, crying out to his companion. There is no response. He has already gone. I heft my other spirit and my enemy's eyes narrow. He hisses at me in pure hatred and bolts, dissolving into the jungle. My show of force has been successful. I have only a little strength left. I stare down at the dead leopard. His armor is broken. Too light for fighting a tiger. No use to me. I search his possessions, my senses open for another attack. Some stones, leopard currency. Fighting knife and skidding knife, both reasonably well crafted. A small doll, most likely a model of his child. This I will leave. His body lies arranged for his companion to retrieve. You fought well, leopard. Though I wish we had not met. Rest now. Go with the father of passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. I sit quietly, gathering my strength. I am cut and battered and my heart needs to rest. I scratch a notch on my bracer for the fallen leopard. I run my pad over all the notches 
from yesterday. Time passes. In the center of my world is my family, my tribe. I return there now to be with them. I step into the rope lift and heave the quagga to the boards, pulling the signal rope three times. Far above me there is movement in the treetops, and three tigers descend on vines, sailing through the air. Proud, beautiful cats. I feel the world shift as the lift is borne aloft. We pass one another and they bow their heads in gratitude as they go, seeing the size of the offering I bring. I drink in the sight of Durga village as it swims into view. The wooden domain stretches far across, under the canopy, suspended high above the jungle forest floor, away from prowling danger. The newest sections from today encircle the older ones from yesterday, themselves wrapped around the earliest inner ring of our home, built at a time yesterday has forgotten. The light of the moon shines through the trees, dappling the pathways and tiger-hewn glades, busy with activity. We stop, and I haul the quagga from the lift, pulling again on the signal rope. As I drop my prize at the offering house, the three tigers who bore me up here emerge from below, scrambling up the reinforced climbing trunks. Two return to their weaving. One, named Satchel, to the offering house to become custodian of our supper. Thank you, Rao. He is a big one. It brings me joy to make my family stronger. I have tried my absolute best to withhold the sharpness of the pains I am feeling, but my composure slackens just a moment. It is enough for Sashel. Her eyes widen. You're hurt. Prow, please go to the healing baths with our blessing. Thank you, Sashel. This is your third offering today. I shall get four tomorrow. We only ask for one of his size. Try the meat. That is not what concerns me. I will take my bath now. As you will. She is right, of course. I must ease these pains and attend to the mending of my body. Trekking out, near the mountainside from where our spring water flows to us, along wooden channels, I enter the steaming bathhouse with further permission, slip under the hot, enveloping, scented liquids, surrendering my tensions. Under the waters, all is still. My cuts and bruises tingle. I lie suspended, embraced by the soothing heat. Time passes. I emerge and am dried. Salves are applied to my wounds. I am honored as a hunter and a warrior. My armor and weapons are carried back to my house, and I am given a fresh robe for the feast. The fires are warm, and the stories are complex and shadowy. I sit by my father, and we partake of some of the quagga, as it is shared with the group around us. Haka stands, and his story begins. 
The faces around the fire stare in rapt attention. To them, he is the shaman, best teller of stories and keeper of wisdom. To me, it is complicated and my thoughts are unclear. He does not look at me as his story unfolds, though I can occasionally feel my father's glances. was a younger world, and this forest was a sea of grasslands. There lived a people who had turned away from the true nature of the spirits. It began as seven tribes stretching across the land. They existed in harmony, for any attack on a neighbor would unbalance the seven. But peace is dull, and there will always be those born within the age of its protection who seek imbalance to lend their lives purpose. They built palaces and monuments to their splendor. Each of these was desired by few and built by many, none of whom would have the honor of enjoying their shelter. As the years drew on, the towers got taller and more proud. Then, one day, the great chieftain died suddenly. He was surveying his lands from a high cliff when he slipped and fell into a chasm, onto some spears. That is all the opportunity the Shadow of Chaos needs to effect immense change upon the light of order. All of a sudden, an almighty series of bitter arguments arose over who should take his place. The promise of power is a deadly poison, and it is deeply known and forever retold how strong hearts are corrupted by it. The race was on to fill the great void left by the passing of the High Chief. This land became a battleground for unending war, with new allegiances springing up every day and sudden and inevitable betrayal following every night. The bloodshed, greed, and suffering became so commonplace that by and by, the people forgot themselves. They saw no value in the respect of the energies of the earth, the water, the fire, and the air. They neither feared the shadow nor loved the light. They thought of themselves as singular beings, disconnected, and so became intent on self-gratification. The families they sprang from became simply a symbol to justify their actions. In desperation for any advantage, they dug deep into the ground to see what could be found and used to gain dominance. They found the houses under the earth, and their forgotten and forbidden halls within. Plundering these dark places, they found a magic there they did not understand, but were so eager to possess that they took it without thought or permission and gave nothing in return. But something had changed that they could not ignore for long. They had cut so deep into the earth that they brushed their tools against the heart of Rama. The time had come for the spirits to put these cruel, greedy people in their place. A treasure had been found in the deepest, darkest, buried hall that one tribe believed would make them the most powerful. No one knew the nature of it, but legends told that an army who held this treasure would be invincible. It was brought before their chief, and he assembled his people to 
watch as the box that held this mighty weapon was opened. That was when the spirits took their moment to act. From the box arose unspeakable horrors. Ghosts of terrible fury flew from its confines, bringing with them lightning in the face of death. The tribe howled in fear and sorrow as the very ground opened up beneath their paws and they were snatched away to the outer world. An almighty cataclysm rent the land, destroying their tall towers and devouring the people like a ravenous beast. All around was devastation, fire, and ash. Only ruins remained to declare these people had once walked upon Rama. From the north came Air Cheetah, sprinting up a hurricane and blowing away the evil clouds that had gathered over this dreadful civilization. The world grew still, and across the quiet land came the soft, padding footfalls of the Leopard of Water, bringing with her a snow without end. Rama slept under her new, cold blanket. She forgot the selfish ones as she dreamed, and her thoughts turned to new things. And after that long winter, she awoke. The landscape had been reshaped by the power of Rama's dreams, and through the shattered stonework wandered the Earth Jaguar. And wherever he stepped, a tall tree grew with lush leaves of green. But Rama wanted a new color for her clothes, and she bade the fire lion breathe upon the leaves, setting them aflame into glorious crimson. He was so proud of his work that he danced across her sky, melting the last of the snows with the light that poured forth from his mane. When he was gone, Dark Panther drew forth the curtain of night, and from dens and caves we cats emerged, shedding our winter coats as we saw the jungle burning with life. And in that twilight sky, the Tiger of Light appeared before us in her new form as the great and glorious moon. She spoke to the shaman, promising right there that the age of endless snows would not return, and that we could make this whole land our home again. But she warned us in the same breath to remember the cataclysmic avarice of those who once lived in the long yesterday. Our chiefs stand and lay a paw each upon Haka's shoulders. Thank you, Haka. Rumini on these words. All of you. But though we know the stories, there is always more to learn by looking deeper. Our enemies are numerous. The leopards push against the boundaries of our hunting grounds to the east. Durga Hasnar Sherhoana defeated two of them tonight. One. Can you tell us what they wanted? Nothing but my death and the carcass I was carrying. Scavengers and assassins, you showed our tribe's superior strength with your actions. They know we are not easy to kill. That is the way things should be. But take care. 
The jaguars of the south also bar our passage, making travel difficult and dangerous in these lands. Do not hunt too deeply within our territories, or the equidae, the bovidae, the capra, will have too few numbers to reproduce sufficiently. We shall have to roam further afield for our meat and risk more conflict, even amongst our neighbors. This is not how we maintain balance. She looks directly at me. I remain impassive. I retire to my house and see that the bedding has been refreshed. My father has followed me. He cranes around a tree some way off until he sees that I have spotted him. Then he approaches gingerly. Thank you, Dada. It is nothing. I knew you would be too tired again. And the window mesh. You fixed it. I had the time. It's lovely work. Stronger than before. It should hold in the wind. Would you like to sit a while? No, I ought to be getting back to my bed. Some will be up soon. Those leopards you fought, they you hurt much. Scrapes, I will mend easily. The bedding is fresh and smells nice. You could sleep for a long time. Let yourself heal. I need to be up early. I got second helpings of that quagga. He was delicious, by the way. We'll all end up getting fat if you keep this up. We can save it. I don't want anyone hungry. Besides, we shall always have extra mouths to feed. Yes, we will. Good night, Dada. I fixed your door as well. You don't have to lift it up to close it anymore. Good night, Dada. Good night, my love. I bed down in the softness. My eyes close, drooping in natural exhaustion. They open again, and I gaze out at the sky. The sun slowly rises as the moon departs, and the forest fills with different calls as the daybirds awaken. I lie for far too long, thinking about the hunts I shall perform tomorrow. Sleep takes me, and I drift. with a start to find only empty space under my paw. It takes me a moment to remember why. I refocus on the hunt and force myself back to sleep. Tomorrow I shall maintain my usefulness.
You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Harau was played by Maureen Foley. Sachel, played by Sharon Shaw. Haka, played by Spencer Lieb. Gar, played by Matt Wardle. Yao, played by Loretta Saylor. Junta, played by Alex Shaw. The main theme is Agent in Shanghai by 1M1 Music, courtesy of Shockwave Sounds. You also heard Taffa Maradi, Whimsy Groove, Drums of the Deep, Supernatural, and Lost Frontier by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Our special sponsors this month were Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Maureen Foley, James Dower, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio de la Cruz, Scott Corzine, and Erish Traverse. And to everyone else who has been supporting us on the Patreon, a big thank you. If you've heard all of Secret Rooms, you'll know by now that this tale is going somewhere big, and we want as many people to be talking about it as possible. There's no network to cancel this show. There's no executives to meddle with production. This is funded and supported by you guys, collectively, and what you're hearing is the work of a passionate and enthusiastic team of artists throwing everything they have into delivering you fantastic stories. Come to the Digital Drift Forum to discuss these shows with the fanbase, or post messages directly on the Patreon feed. If you aren't able to support us with dollars, there are other ways you can help. Four or five star iTunes reviews. And if you can make the time to say a few kind words in a review, that all helps the show gain visibility and gets it into the ears of new listeners.